Well, here we are again on the F1 Funcast, talking all things Formula One with uh, Connor. Connor, you're over there. You're with us for the uh, for the weekend. I am with us for the weekend. I am rearing and ready to go. Let's uh, let's go for the second uh, U.S. Grand Prix. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about this week with uh, the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, Texas, like Connor just said. We've got um, a touch on Max Verstappen winning the Drivers' Championship, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. So I guess around here we'd say it's lights out and away we go. So uh, what do you want to talk about first over there, Chief? You want to you wanna go break down the Qatar weekend a little bit? Yeah, I think we should we'll touch on Qatar, and I think we should definitely start off by, uh, you know, congratulating Oscar Piastri with his win on Saturday, his first Formula One win in McLaren's first since 2012. And I think that's, I mean, we could see it coming. I, mean, he, I know he's only a rookie, but he's been kind of just gaining form all season. And I think it's starting to put Lando Norris on notice a little bit. I think Norris is happy that he has a competitive teammate, but I don't know if he's going to continue being happy if Piastri starts taking that lead role at McLaren. Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because you're right. It's been a steady climb all the way from Bahrain. Uh, every week, it seems like Piastri's gotten a little a little better. He's found more pace. He's been um, just improved every race, and that improves you know, the situation overall for McLaren. Um, so they must be thrilled in that in that garage and on that team. But you're right, Lando Norris, you think he's looking over his shoulder a little bit at uh, his teammate and wondering wondering uh, what could be what could be coming down the road for him in terms of driver standing points and his future at McLaren or just I, his future I think in general. He's, I think he's just looking over his shoulder and thinking like, wow, I have a really strong teammate. And, you know, if things stay positive in this team, they have a really good chance of having a really strong team going forward for a few years to come. Uh, McLaren is well, obviously well on the rise. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting the next few years to see how their relationship develops, because obviously we've heard rumors how Red Bull is trying to recruit Norris and things like that. So, I mean, if things do get frosty, I can see that as being a development and a direction that Norris would want to go. But for now, McLaren arguably has the strongest lineup in, on the grid right now. And that, that's got to spark so much optimism in, in, they're both young guys too. And I feel like when they're, you know, a contemporary and I just feel in the short term, it's probably got to be all good down, um, down with those guys and, and looking forward to and thinking next year's the year with a lot of optimism and a lot of, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just fascinating, you know, that they're both younger, highly talented guys. And they are, like you said, probably the best one, two on the grid right now. And it's just, it's got to be fun. And, and it's one of those things, though, that develops where eventually your biggest competitor is your teammate. It's so unusual in sports where usually your teammates are all, you know, everyone's pulling the, the rope in the same direction, as they say. But in F1, it does get a little bit, you know, you, you, you're competing directly against your teammate when it comes to how other teams look at you or your future. And 
on the team. And not to say there's any drama in the immediate future for McLaren, but those two have the potential to really do some do some damage together if they stick together. And uh, it's just fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for the next couple of years down at McLaren, as long as they keep the team together, you know. Um, we've seen this year a few teams with, with a, a older guy, younger guy combination. We've talked about that on the podcast before, and it seems like sometimes that can lend itself to a bit of a frostier relationship. If you look at uh, even, you know, Mercedes or certainly Aston Martin, those those different generation talents sometimes don't bring out necessarily the best in each other. And I think these guys get each other and they're there for the same reason. So pretty cool, pretty cool weekend for Piastri and uh, pretty cool to see McLaren really forging forward with, with the progress and hopefully they don't slow down anytime in the near future. But uh, that being said, there's still the, still the roadblock in front of them and the rest of the field, which is, uh, Max Verstappen in a Red Bull car, and uh, well, how do you feel about Max's 2023 championship, and what do you see going forward for um, Max and Red Bull? Well, I'll I'll come back to Max in a second here. I just want to touch on one more thing with Piastri, where kind of the same thing that I was saying before with Norris, how he has to look over his shoulder, but because now he's seen that McLaren can win a race. Piastri won a race. So now the pressure kind of comes on to Norris, like, I, now I need to win a race. I need to win a race in the McLaren so I can kind of keep my status on this team. Um, and I also just want to say that Piastri drove a mega race. I mean, leading from green from lights out to the checkered flag, um, he had Max bearing down on him in the, in the closing laps. Um I, I just I, he drove a great race. He managed it really well. Like two or three safety car restarts, he managed it, no problem. Um, oh yeah, I mean he did have Russell get ahead of him at the start, but because they were on different tire strategies, uh, Piastri on the mediums and Russell on the softs. So it it was impressive to not see him panic in that moment and just say, hey, I'm running my own race. The pace will come back to me towards the end of this race and we're going to see where it goes and it got him a victory but now the tie-in to where we where I jumped in here is that his victory was unfortunately a little bit overshadowed by Max Verstappen winning his third world championship and huh. you know congratulations to him and he deserves, he deserves all the credit just like we were giving the team when they won the constructors this year, I mean, they've done just a phenomenal job. And Max has been just about flawless all year. Um, I mean, we're really seeing something special this year with Verstappen. And I don't know if we're going to see anything like this for a long time. So I'm kind of just enjoying it now at this point. I think you just have to, um, you can, you can hit him all, you, you can hit him all you want, but I mean, he, he's just been, lights out all year long so you say we might not see anything like it for a long time have has there ever been anything like it ever uh the season he's had in the history of formula one and then you know you're much more of the history guy i mean than as, I am. as far as domination goes i mean yeah in terms of what maybe, he's done maybe like schumacher back in 2004 or hamilton and mercedes in 2016 or 2015 
Um, or I think Senna and Prost back in 88 with the MP44. Um, but, I mean, that's probably the their closest comparisons, and that's a pretty good comparison considering the the royalty that they'd be amongst with that comparison. It's amazing. It's amazing. And um, it just, to me, watching it, it's been probably the most domination I've seen out of any team or athlete in any sport that I've watched. You know, I, I don't really know what to compare it to. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's not exactly fun for everyone chasing them, but it's certainly worth uh, taking your hat off and congratulating uh, Max Verstappen. And, you know, it's funny not to keep going ping-ponging back and forth, but you said about McLaren and Oscar Piastri on that, on that sprint race. And, you know, McLaren, when you said that, it jumped out to me that they've been right on it with their tire strategies all year. They've, they've uh, outfoxed... Mercedes a couple of times now and whoever's making those calls for that team is doing a really good job because one thing we always say on on this podcast is that you can't have the you know the little mistakes too the pit row mistakes or the the strategy mistakes and whoever's been making those calls yeah well I didn't want (laughs) to I didn't want to bring it up bring it up already but it's really true. I'm it really pain I can bring it up (laughs) it makes a difference though it makes such a difference that uh if you look the last the last year and a half between McLaren and Ferrari, maybe the difference really is just those those little decisions. But when you said that, I really did notice uh, that's one thing any team going forward. And again, Red Bull hardly ever makes a mistake either. They're like um, they are a machine. They're robotic. It's amazing. It's amazing. And um, I also I also just want to say that McLaren also took um, took the record for the fastest pit stop. Um, this well, this past race in Qatar, um, That's what I, was I think it was like one point one point eight seconds or something like that. Which That's amazing. I mean, when when you think of fastest pit stop, it's always Rebel. Rebel is like the king of fast pit stops. They, it's like we just said, they're a machine, and it seems like they never have any kind of a hiccup with a wheel. There's never a problem getting the lug nut on there. Nothing. Nothing. It's flawless every single time. And to see McLaren crank one out 1.8 seconds is just, uh, it's, it's awesome to see that that team, they're starting to bring everything together. And I think that next year we could see something pretty special as far as the, uh, the McLaren goes. It's fun. It's certainly fun to watch and and fun to see because it's happening in real time. You know, you can see every weekend. The, the it's, changes it's, are happening. It's been so much fun to, to see how they started the year versus how they have been finishing this year. And, I mean, we don't get to see it very often where a team goes from the very back of the field at the start of the season to winning a race towards the end. And right. just, that's such a huge accomplishment for McLaren. And I think that Piastri winning that sprint race was kind of just like this culmination of all the hard work they've been putting in this year to get that car to where it is now and all the upgrades they've been putting on the car. And I mean, like we said, hats off to them. I mean, it's a phenomenal job to have the kind of progress that they've had. It's, it's, um, 
yeah, it, it's just, and they've got the wind at their backs heading into 2024. So all good down there with McLaren. And do you um, think they're, do you think they're gunning for Red Bull next year? I think as of right now, the way it stands, they're the number one contender, I would say. It seems like um, every other team that could be shooting for Red Bull seems to be tripping over themselves in one one way or another, and McLaren has uh, full steam ahead. So, I, I mean, m- maybe not. M- maybe we're looking at Ferrari. Maybe we could see Mercedes. But if you ask me today, you know, who's it going to be the challenges? It looks like it's going to be McLaren. And, and I know Red Bull's been talking about they feel the, you know, they feel the pack catching up to them. They're hearing footsteps a little bit. And I wonder who they're talking about when Christian Horner says that. You know, I wonder. I think it's if, definitely McLaren. Yeah, you think so? I I, it, I 100% think so. Because, I mean, nobody else is really threatening as far as uh, pace goes compared to what McLaren's been able to do. Especially, like we just said, from where they started. And, you know, to... Yeah, I I think McLaren's going to give him a good sh- good shot next season. Um, Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be it, nice? It would be. I think it would be. I mean, and I was just thinking about it, how we went from having like the so called top three teams in McLaren, or sorry, not not McLaren, but Mercedes, Rebel, and Ferrari were synonymously the top three teams for like the past decade, and now we have top four possibly top five teams we have you know obviously we have red bull mercedes mclaren ferrari and there's a handful of teams that are fighting to be that fifth team on the grid and then it's a decent gap back to the midfield but even the midfield's pretty tight so i mean it doesn't it won't take much for any of those midfield teams to make a significant jump maybe alpine next year brings some upgrade to their car and they jump up a little bit and all of a sudden, they're in that top four, top five. Certainly possible. Certainly possible. Especially that team, you know, they're undergoing some changes. And the changes, you know, if they go the right way for you, mm-hmm. they've got the drivers. They've got the experience. It certainly, Alpine could be that team. Um, I think you're right. I think you're right on about um, just in general that it's a wide open field with the caveat that we're all chasing Red Bull. Um, it it does seem like maybe maybe some gravity is coming back to the top a little bit, and it'll be fun to watch. I mean, we're not that we have to look forward to 2024 just yet. If anyone can topple Red Bull the rest of the way, that would be. If anyone wants to go ahead and win a race this year, that would be great. I mean, Ferrari. I don't know what you're so glum about over there. You guys are the only team to win a race besides uh, <laughs> besides Red Bull. So you know. Um, well, any- because if you ask any Tifosa, they, they want they would want to be in Red Bull's position where they're winning just about every race. So, yeah, well, high standards, high standards. But uh, the other, the other, yeah, well, that's yeah. The <laughs> except for the last, you know, two and a half. Don't years, remind so. me, man. Don't <laughs> remind me. <laughs> but uh, the other, the other issue or story coming out of Qatar was the uh, the temperature and the grueling conditions uh, these yeah. teams were put through. And um, I don't know, I just, what were your thoughts on how 
It was brutal. And we know, you know, Qatar's brutal. They just had the World Cup there and they had to have, you know, only night games and and uh, they do everything to avoid the heat there. But is it realistic going forward to, to keep doing this every year? I, think? I think I think it's manageable. I mean, MotoGP races there every year. Um, so, I mean, it's just, I think it was just the nature of the track combined with the conditions. I mean, you have a really, really hot, humid atmosphere uh, for your weather. And then you have a track that's very high speed, high speed corners where um, you're under a lot of physical strain for most of the lap. Um, you're under a lot of G's through those corners and it's just that combination it can take a lot of, out of you and I think the other factor that really played a huge part in this was the mandatory uh, three stop strategy that was passed down um, due to Pirelli's concerns about tires failing on the curbs Right. so right. you know you went from one maybe maybe a two-stop race where you're managing the tires most of the time so you're not pushing all out all the time to a three-stop strategy or mandatory three-stop where it's you're running qualifying laps every every lap i hadn't even thought of that so it's it's so much more exhausting on your body when you have to push 100 percent or 110 percent every single lap for the grand prix when it's set, I think they said it was like 75% humidity and whatever in Celsius the ambient temperature was. It was something crazy, though. Um, so, I mean, we saw it with Logan Sargent. I'm going to talk about him for a second because, I mean, I know yeah. he's under so much pressure right now. And you could hear it in his radio message where he wanted to keep going and he kept saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can keep going. And they let him go for a few more laps. And then they came back on the radio to him and just said, hey, it's, it's okay. Retire the car. It's okay. Um, it's, it's nothing more that you can do. Um, we want, you know, they wanted him to be safe. And you could see when he was getting out of the car before some of the crew members respectfully blocked the view of the camera. Um, they were They had to help him out of the car and he was like barely able to get out of the car and you know i'm sure it would have been the response would have been different had he been the only one that was in that kind of a situation but he wasn't i mean every other driver was complaining about it um after the race you know people were on the verge of passing out they were lance stroll pulled up to the ambulance and barely got out of his car um before he was effectively stumbling over to where the ambulance is um, so many drivers had to be helped or assisted getting in or out while getting out of their car. Um, and I think they said in the cool down room that that was the most brutal Grand Prix that they've ever run. And I think that, I think next year they're supposed to be having it later in that whatever season that is for Qatar at the time. So it's supposed to be cooler. Um, so it'll be more manageable, and I think that they'll probably tackle the problem with the curbs so they don't have to mandate a three-stop strategy. Um, right. But, yeah, I, th- right. I think I it's it's manageable. It's it's definitely a race that they can do. I mean, we've seen them do Singapore for years now, and that's a, that's a brutal race physically as well. 
Um, we always hear about it every year, but I think that just the, the three-stop strategy combined with the conditions was really what uh, did that to the drivers. But, I mean, it, it was still a very thrilling race. I, I think it was incredibly entertaining to see the drivers pushing that much, uh, not having to just sit back and re- keep their tires in good condition. They could actually push every single lap. And it made for some really good racing. Um, there's right. a lot of action all up and down the field, but I mean, I think even Lance Stroll was saying at one point, like halfway through the race, that he was like basically blacking out through some of the corners and like losing consciousness going through some of the higher speed corners because he was just so Jeez. like Jeez. he was losing so much hydration and so much exhaustion. Um, and I mean. If we see more of that, say, next year, then I think there might be some more calls for uh, either changing the location or something along those lines because it's not safe for the drivers to be in those kind of conditions. I understand they are peak athletes and they have you know, all the physical ability in the world to handle these kind of conditions, but as we saw after the race, I think this was like the knife edge of that right and that's that's too close if you ask me that's too close because like you said these are peak athletes and they're pushing it to the point of passing out and being so you know they can't even walk or get themselves i'm sure there were a lot of ivs in uh, the oh, garage yeah. in the back afterwards and if you're pushing it that close with these guys it, it to me that's too close to a, a disaster that could happen you know we talk I, about other races where they have to fix you know issues on track or driver safety is always number one but this if you have if you have drivers passing out in their cars or basically yeah, passing I mean, out could, could you imagine what the story would have been had had any of the drivers passed out in one of those high-speed corners and, and wrecked and it was found out that they had passed out going through some of those corners and can, yeah. it, it was just basically because of the conditions and combination with they're, they having to do like qualifying laps every single lap. I that, I think it would have been a much bigger story if something like that had happened. Sure. And like you said, you're putting it to the knife's edge that it, it maybe they're lucky it didn't happen this year. And uh, it's funny, you uh, I, it hadn't dawned on me until you said it about the three-stop strategy where then you have to push much, much harder and the physical toll that takes. It didn't, like I just never computed the the three stop you know the more stops the more you have to push so yeah well because you're not you're not yeah. going to be using all the tire so i mean those like the medium tires they could probably get those last like 30 or 40 laps but they were saying that every each tire was only allowed to have like 25 or 28 laps run on it so you know that was the cutoff so i mean they were no holding fresh, back. fresh fresh tires no holding back and yeah, they were just going for it. I mean, and like I said, it was great, great racing. It was fun to watch, but we saw afterwards how toll, how much of a toll that was on the drivers. And I think that, you know, as a fan, I, I want to see great racing and I want to see action like that. But if, 
any of the drivers where they get hurt in a situation like that. I think, you know, obviously that's the risk that they sign on for, but we need to take some kind of precaution to make sure that stuff like that doesn't happen just in case of the worst eventuality. And I know in Qatar, it just seems like every, every event that goes there, this is the conversation, you know, they're, they, they want to host these events. They do a great job. They're in the middle of the desert. But they're, it's it's so hot and it's so, you know, the World Cup, I remember the cramping issues and people just, you know, not being able to make it. And and then at the same time, who wants to go to these events when it's this hot and it's this, I mean, I'm sure they sell out. I'm sure people go and people are used to those temperatures, but it just seems like there's got to be a better way. There's got to be some way and you can't, how much farther can you push it down the calendar? I mean, we're, we're staring down the end of the season as it is. Well, I think, I think if they had it closer to like, you know, maybe in the beginning of the season or the middle of the season. It, oh, sure. I, I think I think sure. that at at where Qatar is, I think that time of the year it would probably be a little bit better. Um, sort of like how they had for the World Cup, where they had it fairly early in the spring summer time, and it you know it was still hot, but it was manageable. Right, right. Maybe that's maybe that's the idea. It does seem like a lot of the Mid East races are earlier in the season too. So maybe you're right about that. That. Uh... Interesting. That's interesting. It's just, it's, it's tough because you hate to see it and you hate to see those. You just literally hate to see guys in that condition or anyone in that yeah. condition, but the, you know, just to, just to watch it, just to see the, and to know what they're going through. And, uh, it's tough. I, I, I do think though, like, you know, it's, it's a great racetrack. I, I like it a lot. I think it provides some good racing. Um, I think that if they can just figure out the situation with the curbs for next year, um, you know, obviously that was, they had to change those up because of the track limits. They pushed track limits in by, I think, like 15 centimeters or something like that um, on a couple of the corners. Um, and then they, I don't know if they changed the curbs. They might have, but it was just how big the drop off was. And they were concerned that somebody could cut a tire and have a high-speed accident uh, because of a cut tire. So I think if they can manage that or figure out a solution for that and in combination with the weather and hopefully being at a better time of the year where it's a little bit cooler out or maybe just less humid, I think it'll be fine. But this year was kind of just like this extreme case of all these things coming together and it was kind of just like a perfect storm of of circumstances. Sure, sure, and that's tough. I hear, I hear faint echoes of the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix that we talked about in terms of the tires, you know, being under restriction or uh, changing the race because of uh, being unable to to make it yeah. through. It's just yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah. Just, just a little, a faint echo. I know circumstances were much different, but just the no, fact I that the it. tire, it's a great comparison. The tire manufacturer stepping in and and putting their thumb on the scale before a race, and I mean for safety's sake, right? But it's also yep. interesting that the the tire manufacturer has that much sway over safety. But then you know the the conditions, you got to get out there. The show must go on. So it's well, just it was well. If you think about if you think about it, they have to because it. If something right. goes wrong, it reflects sure. immediately on them. Like if, if a tire goes down and causes a causes a crash, they're immediately under the spotlight. Sure. So no, that's probably, true. That's fair. Probably not. You know, they want they want to advocate for safety just as much as they want to prevent 
anything coming back at them. Right. No, that's that's absolutely fair. And I'm not insinuating like um, no, of course not something devious there. But it's just it's funny how. I, how you know and before i started watching formula one in general like just the tires how much impact the tires and the manufacturers and the they can have on a weekend they can have on a on a race or a race weekend or anything and and before we started doing this and before i started learning a lot more i just figured it was just throw some tires on there and and hit the road but they, they can yeah. really affect uh affect the entire weekend and uh in big and ways just like yeah, I mean, and you're you're absolutely right. I think you know you're hitting the nail on the head with that. Um, and I just want to before I before I lose the thought, I just want to say that um, while we're talking about Pirelli, they've just been extended until 2027, I think. I did see um, that. That's right. So I think the a lot of fans are. I think. I mean, it 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 got a mixed reaction from what I saw. Some people are happy because they know that Pirelli is kind of been handed this odd slate for these tires they have to make where they have to be so strong because the cars are so heavy and producing so much downforce and the cornering forces are so much more than what they used to be. Um, And Formula One constantly keeps changing what they want from the tire, whether they want it to degrade quickly or they want it to last longer or they want them to overheat more so they punish you if you're overworking them just all these things they have all these variables that are constantly changing they've and they have to deal with it. i mean these are the heaviest cars formula one's ever had and they're maintaining speeds that are not far off what we had with the 2020 cars um you know a few seconds a lap but still um you you get the point sure. so I think that probably has done a great job, but I think that also a lot of people wanted to see a change, maybe have Bridgestone come back. I think, yeah, Bridgestone was the the other manufacturer that was rumored to have interest in that role. Um, others wanted a potential tire war uh, between Pirelli and Bridgestone, different manufacturers running different types of tires. Um, different manufacturers for the tires. Um, but we're going to have Pirelli until 2027. And who knows after that, maybe it'll continue on. Uh, I know in 2026, the cars are supposed to be lighter and they're going to be a little bit narrower and a little bit shorter. So no. I think well, that'll help Pirelli. So... 2026 what what is the change what do you know that i don't know that some of us listening might not know what's happening in 2026 that is that just new regulations or is it yeah there's a it's the new it's a new wave of regulations and i don't know exactly all the things off the top of my head but i do know that the cars they want to make the cars lighter and smaller um they're gonna up i think they're gonna ditch the mguh um, which is part of the high, one of the parts of the hybrid system, and they're gonna make the MGUK a little bit bigger to provide more electrical power. Um, so I think what they're trying to shoot for is more like a 50-50 distribution between electric and uh, engine power. It's, it's supposed to be something like that. I I don't know exactly what it is. All I know for sure 
uh, as far as the dimensions of the cards, they wanted to be lighter and, sh- and smaller. So, but I do know that they are working on tweaking the powertrain a little bit to maybe electrify it a little bit more. They're also ditching one of the components to make the whole power unit lighter. But I guess we'll see. I, I'll, I'll brush up on that, and by the next episode, we'll have it good to go. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because you've been a big advocate for a smaller Formula One car. Everybody uh, has. Yeah, yeah. But I know you've loudly, and everyone has, and you send me videos, and I see videos all the time, and you're right. There's a certain there's a certain size that's just right, and we're oversized right now, that's for sure. And there's something, I look forward to that. I look forward to a little bit smaller car, a little bit more wide open racing and sometimes you'll send me these videos where it's a side-by-side comparison of uh, a little bit older smaller cars versus today's and it just today's cars look like a lumbering giant around those like, tracks they look like they're double the size they do and they just look like they don't really um they just don't want to race compared to compared to these older cars but um anyway well, they, that's just, i mean i mean the they they do to an extent, but like in some of the clips I know I've sent you, where you know they'll have, I maybe like a two thousand four or two thousand eight car. When it goes into a fast corner, it it looks so dirty. It just it darts from one side to the other. It looks so quick and nimble, and right. especially in the slow corners, where as the cars we have now, they look so lethargic going through like a hairpin corner or around some of the tighter corners in Monaco. They look. It's just so out of place. And I think I sent you a clip uh, back uh, for the Baku race weekend of the Formula 2 cars going through like two, maybe three wide in one of the corners where they couldn't even go two wide with the Formula 1 car without making contact. And they had space to save in the Formula 2 race. Yeah. Yeah, it would be nice to get to something closer to that because... Yeah, these these this year's cars especially, they just seem like big lumbering. Like, oh, here we go, you know, just kind of a big, yeah, slower. It's hard to describe, but they just you're right. The way you say the older ones darted, these kind of sail. Well, like the the size on of, TV. Like you you look at the smaller cars, like like you like you just said, they look like they dart so quickly. But then the bigger cars, they you see that effect on the TV. It's more pronounced on the TV. They look slower on the TV because they're so, they're so much bigger. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that they, they're taking a step in the right direction. Um, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see if they keep going that way. Hopefully, hopefully. So should we, should we touch on any of the driver stuff here? Well, yeah. So there's been a few little things. We've had some some changes, or maybe not official changes, but there's a lot going on in the world of uh, driver, the driver market and future for some of the, Where would you like to start? Who would you like to uh, pick on first? Well, I think we should start off with a bang and talk about the stuff that's going on with Perez at the moment. Um, so I don't know if anybody else has seen this, but Helmut Marco has, and Christian Horner have both come out and basically said that if Sergio Perez loses second place in the championship this year, then Ricardo is going to be in his seat next year. Um, there's also been a, a little rumor floating around. I don't know how true it is that Perez is planning to announce his retirement at the Mexican Grand Prix after the race in Austin. Um, so, I mean, 
the door is possibly open for Ricardo, and I think that if Ricardo gets that seat, they'll probably have Lawson come back and fill in um, at the second AlphaTauri seat. I think I think it only makes sense to have him there. Otherwise, Lawson's going to be out of a race seat, and he definitely deserves to have one. Absolutely, um, he's been he's been um, an eye opener a little bit as well, coming he in definitely and, has. and doing such a good job. Should He'll we have a seat we... for sure? Should we operate under the assumption that this is it for Sergio Perez in the Red Bull? I mean, I know there's all these caveats and if he does this or if he doesn't do that, but it seems like this is these are all the signals that uh, this is yeah. going to be a breakup uh, one way or another. I mean, I, I hate to I, say it, but I mean, I hate to say it too because I mean he's been kind of a fan favorite for years, and I I think he's he is a great driver. He's showed a lot of you know obviously he showed a lot of skill. He's a race winner. Um, and he was a race winner in a smaller team um, before he came to Red Bull. And it was that win that gave him that seat at Red Bull because he was going to be out of a seat at the end of 2020 before he got the seat at Red Bull. Um, right. That's right. So, I mean, it it would be sad to see him go, but I can understand why they would let him go, if that makes right. sense. No, and we we talked about it last time we got together about how it seemed like this is the way it was heading. And I've got to say, a lot of our a lot of our uh, gossipy stuff here, we've been right on the nose with some of these things in terms of uh, just you know Sergio's kind of faltering relationship with Red Bull. And now I don't know if you've seen that Aston Martin might be up for sale. Um, I did see that. I I wasn't sure if that was true or not. And. I, I think I already know what you're going to say here, and <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready for it. You say no, it, go I'm ahead. I'm going to be nice. We're going to be nice. <laughs> because we've been saying it all year, haven't we? <laughs> uh, well, is this is this Lance Stroll's last year in Formula 1? Well, isn't it, wouldn't it be nice to just to be able to be like, okay, can you buy me this team so I can drive for it? And then when I'm not going to drive anymore, we'll sell the team and do something else? I mean... I, I, in my opinion, I had a feeling Lawrence Stroll, and I don't know, again, we don't know for sure any rumors, but if he sells this team, I'd be kind of disappointed. I thought he seemed like an in-for-the-long-haul type. But if if this is the end of Lance Stroll, and with Lance leaving, maybe Lawrence just wants to move on with his ventures as well, I get sure. it. But, but I don't know, I would be disappointed because they seem to be trying to drag... Aston Martin in the right direction, and then now it could be a team in turmoil going well, forward. Well, I, th- I think that he's done a great job at getting them to where they are now, um, taking over from Racing Point um, and getting Aston Martin basically to where it is now. And, you know, he's given them a new factory and other things like that. I just think that he can also see he's a businessman, right? And he sees that. Aston Martin is worth a lot more now than what it was when he bought into it. So I think he also means to gain a lot from selling the team. Sure. Um, Sure. And I just, I mean. His timing has been incredible. Yeah, it really has been. Because Formula One team values are through the roof right now. They really are. he, He bought in. Like just before this big I'm, boom that they're going through, it's amazing. I'm it's sure amazing. there's a lot of investors that are chomping at the bit to get a piece of the Aston Martin team. Um, 
But I was, I was just going to say that if Lawrence pulls out and, I mean, that leaves Lance Stroll defenseless, effectively. And if he's not performing, and, I mean, if if he sells a team, is he even is Lance even driving next year? I don't, I don't know. But even if he is driving next year, that puts so much more pressure on him because he's not going to have that security of, well, my dad still owns the team or he has the majority stake in the team. So I'm still going to be okay because he's going to overrule any decision as far as the driver lineup. And I know Fernando Alonso is getting frustrated kind of being the one, the one horse team. Um, And he, he knows that they could be much higher in the championship if they had another driver that was performing to Alonso's uh, measure. But I think that if Stroll doesn't, if he does start next year, then he's going to be in a very, very hot seat because, I I mean, he performs the way he is this year. There's no chance. There's no chance he keeps that seat next year. There's no good argument to keep him. If, no, if there isn't. He, he, hasn't shown, way, yeah. he hasn't shown anything. I mean, he performed better when he had a broken wrist. Which is really... At, at, the, at the beginning of the year when he had that bike accident. He missed preseason taxi. He came into Bahrain and he gutted through that race with basically like pins in his wrist. He drove a great race, but it's like ever since then, he's just been nowhere. Really uh, frustrating. Frustrating um, season. Can you imagine how frustrating that is for the team? For everybody involved, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that team is putting in so much work at week in, week out, every race, and trying to you know climb up that midfield a little bit higher than they were last year. They're, they are making progress. I mean, we saw it at the beginning of the year. They just weren't able to sustain it with the upgrades. But, I mean, at some point, those team members have to get frustrated and they have to see that Lance Stroll is just not the guy. No. He's not. And I, I wonder where Aston Martin would stand if you were to, you know, just take a, what is it in baseball, like a wins above replacement, like as a regular, you know, average driver and have him in the Aston Martin this year, how many more points they would have scored than yeah. Lance Stroll, you know, a or, or someone who, who was right there with, uh, with Fernando Alonso in terms of point scoring. It would be a much different season for Aston Martin. And I just think they, they started on such a high that it's got to be a very frustrating uh, time of year. It is. And, I mean, I, I saw something kind of funny earlier this week leading up to the, the Grand Prix in Austin where um, they have the banners of all the drivers that cover the fences and stuff like that. And I apparently on one of these banners, uh, Lance Stroll was not there. And in his place was Felipe Drogovic, who is the Formula 2 driver that – They've had to, <laughs> you know, he's filled in for practice sessions and stuff like that. But he was in the other Aston Martin suit. And also, Ricardo was in the Red Bull suit. Wow. So, it was, people were like, wait a minute, are we going to get the driver changes this weekend? Because. Could you imagine? Could you <laughs> it'd, imagine? Be kinda, it'd be kind of funny if that was like the like a leak, you know. 
where but, you weren't supposed to know about it until the, the teams announced it, but then like somebody put up the wrong poster and they're like, oh, well, I guess we have to say it now. But Spoilers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, you don't have your seat anymore, you know. Um, Could you imagine being one of those guys? Yeah, imagine being Sergio <laughs> Perez showing up. You got your coffee, you look up, and you're not even on the – You're not on the Ricardo. panel with all the other yeah. drivers. Is <laughs> Ricardo's face where yours should be. <laughs> oh boy! I think. Well, I, I mean, think... I, I see, I see all the posts that Rebel does, where it's like they they keep calling them like the dynamic trio or the troublesome trio, and it's you know Max and Perez and Ricardo, and Perez never, you know, I I feel like I know he's laughing in the pictures, but on the inside, you know, he's thinking like the guy next to me, Ricardo, is like he's here to take my seat. Like I don't want to be laughing it off with him you know like this is ridiculous why am i here this is awkward that's what i was saying earlier with the the inter-team like yeah you're on the same team but you're also your number one competitor and yeah that tension can be super awkward where you're looking around yeah i mean i can't imagine that's a good feeling for prez to be in all those promo things with ricardo right next to him you know Mm -hmm. Pretty much the, just the elbowing guy, the, him out of the way. Yeah. yeah, the guy that's that's been rumored and threatening to take your seat next year, and he's you just have to do all these fun PR things with him and laugh about it, you know. Buddy, buddy. As if, yeah. as if, yeah, buddy, buddy. As if everything's perfectly fine. And then, it, yeah, as soon as those cameras stop, it's just walk away. Just walk yeah. away. Yeah. And it's so, tough. I just want to I want to throw in uh, before we move on here. Um, Another exciting bit of news for any United States uh, Formula One fan is that Andretti has been approved by the FIA as an 11th team, and now it's up to Formula One and FOM to approve them or disapprove them. But I think that we could see them getting approved because you know they've already built up the infrastructure. They've obviously given. Um, the FIA a plan or an outline of what they plan to do. They've already kind of given them a rough draft of a car to send to them to be like, hey, this, so this is what we're trying to do here. Like this is, you know, this isn't just, you know, just for laughs. It's, it, this is a serious thing. And I think that having the Andretti name in Formula One, um, again, would be phenomenal considering Mario Andretti won the championship back in, I don't know, like the 70s, I think, like the mid-70s, late 70s, maybe. Um, But, I mean, it would be amazing to have a true... um, And I say this knowing full well that Haas is, quote-unquote, an American team. Um, But it would be... um, amazing to have like a true american team sure um, but i and i mean i i am gonna rant a little bit here because this is kind of just a frustration of mine you go um, for it so what i've noticed a lot of is european fans seem to have like this gatekeeping mentality when it comes to formula one in the united states and how the americans are you know they're not made for Formula One. It's not something they should ever delve into. And they always get annoyed when, you know, Americans talk about the sport as if we don't know a lot about it. We don't know everything about it, which, I mean, not everybody knows about Formula One. Not everybody knows everything about Formula One. A lot of people are like me or like 
or like James, where, you know, we have a passion for it, we have an interest in it, and we just enjoy it. We enjoy the sport. And I just, I think the gatekeeping is kind of ridiculous. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think no. that I think that it would be amazing to have a, a Formula One team like Andretti come into the sport. And I, you know, this is under the full acknowledgement that they will probably just be a midfield team for a little while. Um, you know, they might not even amount to anything. Who knows? They might not even get on the grid. We don't know. But all this gatekeeping of, oh, we can't have an American team in the sport or, you know, the Americans ruin the sport. Like, it's, I think it's, it's garbage, to be honest. It's, it's just garbage. And it frustrates the crap out of me because I'm, I'm an American fan and I absolutely love this sport. And I have so much passion for it. And so, so many other people do. And I don't think that, we do ourselves any favors by showing these celebrities on, on the grid walks that seem to have no affinity with formula one. They're just kind of there, there for the show and there for public appearance. Um, Oh yeah. That's, that's not, that's not who represents us. You know, look at the fans and at the U S Grand Prix this weekend in Austin, there's going to be, I think, Last year there was like three hundred or four hundred thousand people there over I the course imagine. of the weekend. I can imagine. Austin like that's being... not that's not just that's not just a fluke. That's not just for show. That's true passion from fans that truly enjoy watching the sport. And probably one of the greatest parties of the year in Austin, and not to mention Las Vegas. Well, that's a whole. You want to talk about celebrities showing up to something they don't belong yeah, to? Yeah, I think that I think that one's going to be. You know, that might have an asterisk next to it, and I can understand that. But as far as the Grand Prix in Austin, I mean, that is. You know, every all the drivers love that track. The fans love that track. Uh, the atmosphere there is always phenomenal. So you know, say what you want about American fans, but we're here to stay. So yeah, absolutely, and that's. Uh... Yeah, I think Austin personally on my list of places to go for a Grand Prix would be right up right up near the top. And you know, we all see the gatekeeping and you're right, you can just put that out on the curb and let the trash man take it cuz that's where it belongs. But uh you know, we we're having a good time and we're learning yeah, we a lot and, and we're we're uh I don't know, I think American fans can bring a lot to to anything and maybe you know, maybe American fans are looked at almost the same way we are when it comes to uh, the World Cup or something like that. Like we'll never truly belong near the top. But I think uh, I I don't know how long it would take to prove that wrong. But I'm sure Andretti coming in uh, would be fired up to at least to at least win some races down the road. And do you know when that could happen? Like, is there a timetable I on? I think entry? they're shooting for the new regulations. So 2026, I think, is what they're rumored to be. It, that makes I, sense. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's 2026. It could it could be 2025, but to me that wouldn't make sense to come in for one year of the current regulations, only have to dump so much money into the new regulations the very next season. Right. Um, right. That makes I think sense. that you know unless they're just trying to kind of get their footing and kind of get into some kind of a rhythm um, and understand the operation a little bit more, but I mean. 
I think it would be great to have Andretti in Formula One. It's such a name that's synonymous with Formula One, and it's synonymous with racing, not just in the United sure. States, but also yeah. around the world. I mean, everybody knows Mario Andretti. And I mean, I, I used to, you know, I think we've all, as a driver, I think we've all been told, oh, you're driving like Mario, you know? <laughs> so I, it's one of those one of those names that's just synonymous with racing. So it would be incredible to have them in the sport. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you brought that up. It was something we didn't discuss yeah, earlier. I, I it was mean, on my I'm notes. Not, and... I, I know it was a little bit of a rant, and you know, I'm glad nope, I got I it off my chest. And I just, you know, I've been seeing so much of it lately, and it's it's frustrating because, like I said, it's just, you know, what what's the point? Why why protect, quote unquote, protect the sport from new fans? You know, and calling those fans saying that they don't know anything about the sport. Well, yeah, not everything knows everything about, not everybody knows everything about the sport right away. There's a learning curve. There's people who are just starting to learn about the sport. They want to get into it, but there's no, people aren't going to want to get into the sport if you tell them they don't belong there. Right. I think that's really well put. I think that's really well put. You feel better? Do you feel a little bit? Oh, I feel great A little now. lighter now? Right. Yeah, you got Next topic. Let's yeah. go. So... <laughs> Well, I think let's let's wrap it up with our big news. Our big news of the week was um, we got our first email. We got someone actually sent yes, us an did. email. Yes, and I'm um, so excited about this. And yes, yeah, so she found us at F1 Funcast on Gmail. So if you want to send us an email, that's where we are. Um, pretty exciting. I got this one while I was on my way to work. I almost jumped right off the train. It was. Uh, it's just nice to know someone's out there. We're not just talking to ourselves. And, and um, I thought this was a great question. So I don't have it verbatim. I'm sorry. I wrote down the, the notes here, Sandra. But it was Sandra G. in El Centro, California, wanted to know if we could spend an all-access weekend with one team on the grid right now, what team would it be and why that team? Ooh, so I, thought, I like that question. I, I'll I'll let you lead off with this one. Oh, you want me to lead off? Okay. Yep. Go go for it. Dive in. Well, I've thought about it a lot, and it's changed a lot over uh, the past week or so since since I got this email. But I think we talked about this team a lot earlier today. That I think right now the best vibes are in that McLaren garage, and I think if you wanted to spend four days around a team that was everything firing on the right cylinders. A team that's got a good vibe around it, probably in a happy place, and and really like uh, if you wanted to see what a what a Formula One team at its maybe not its best best performance wise, but at its best in terms of team chemistry. Give me McLaren. Give me Zach Brown. We'll go out for a burger or something after. He, he's an American, by the way. He's an American, and he's, <laughs> he's he's probably he seems like a proud American. So I said we go he out is. for a burger. He's a very proud American. He's a burger and a beer guy, you know, after work and all that. So he he gave I, Daniel Ricciardo a, a a drive in Dale Earnhardt's one of Dale Earnhardt's old uh, stock cars that's after cool. he after he won with McLaren. That's pretty cool. So that's what I'm talking about. That's what yeah. I think right now. Yeah, you'd want to avoid. There's teams you wouldn't want to be around, but I think McLaren is a team that still has that that good energy, and um, and also I think it would be a fun team to spend time around and ask questions ask those technical questions they're they're really they're keying in on things that other teams are not and they're keying in on they're they're improving every week so i'd love to ask questions about that process and how how they're finding these gains and how 
you know, the process works between a design idea to implementing it on the car to deciding whether to keep it. I think it would just be a really good time to hang out at the McLaren garage. So that's my pick. McLaren, I'd be hanging out with you. You guys would be sick of me by Sunday, but that would be my pick. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's a great pick. And I think that if we ever get these uh, paddock passes that we're, we uh, are dreaming about getting, I think McLaren has to watch out for James because he might be asking a lot of questions. I'd be hanging out. <laughs> I'd have a lot I, of questions. As, as would I. That's what I. Yeah. So I've got a theory as to who your team would be, but go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and lay so, it on me. Well, all right. If I may, I have two. Oh, here we go. One, We're already breaking the rules. Well, well I, <laughs> go ahead. I've always been a, I've always been a rule better. But I mean, and I say that because one's a given. It's Ferrari. I mean, <laughs> there we go. I would, I, I would love to spend a day or a weekend in the Ferrari garage talking with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Um, any of the team members just, I think it, it, the team has just such a rich history. Uh, they've been around since the very beginning of the sport. Um, and I mean, it's just, it would just be a, such a cool experience just to, so I would soak it all in. I mean, you'd be beaming. That smile wouldn't come off. Oh your yeah. Face. I, you couldn't take that smile off my face if you, if you tried. And, you know, like, like we've said before in earlier podcasts, like they just have such a rich history and it's just kind of like the, the passion that Ferrari has for the sport. It, it would be such an incredible vibe in that garage. I, I, I don't know. I know that they get down to business and they're very serious about what they do, but just to be around that would be sure. incredible. Being around history. And yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah Exactly. And so, and I mean, also Scarlet cars look phenomenal. So, um, beautiful. How many selfies could you take? Yeah, absolutely. I would be overloading (laughs) my phone with selfies. Um, so the other team though, to now break the rule is Williams. I think I would love to spend a race weekend with Williams kind of for the same reasons that Ferrari has where it's, you know, it's a very historical team, but it's also, a very young team and and I say that I know they've been they've been around for decades now and what I mean by that is they are on the way up and they're a small team that's starting to make strides forward and they're yes, starting they to get their footing and they're kind of trying to come up the midfield a little bit and we've seen what Alex Albon has been doing all year um just driving the absolute wheels off of that car um, He's been but great. I also I for the same reasons that you picked McLaren. Like I think they would be a fun garage to be in. Everybody seems like they they're very happy to be there. Um, and but, I don't know, just something something with the Williams name. It's kind of the same with Ferrari. It's just synonymous with the sport of Formula One, and it would be a pleasure to spend a weekend with them. I think that's great. I think you're right about the prestige there too. There's something. I'd be asking so many questions. It'd be insane. I, I know. I know. I'm starting to think like what it would be like for a weekend down there. Just how many between the history of the team and to how this works and tell me what that does. And yeah. how did you just, it would be amazing. I, I don't think we would run out of questions. If we, if we ever <laughs> get those paddock passes, we're going to be 
I mean, we're gonna have so much voice, rec- so many voice recordings to go through of us asking every every question under the sun to these guys, and not even just like Formula One questions. It could just be any questions. Yeah, like, what's your you favorite know, movie? What, yeah, what's your, what's your favorite movie? Like, tell tell us something about you that the other uh, reporters might not have asked. You know? Yeah. You know it's, what I'd like I, to I ask? More personal level. I'd like to ask those those people on those teams what their favorite trip is every season where they look forward oh, to going that's a great question right like is there one place where you just know you want to you want to go to because you like the food or you like the atmosphere or the race is great you know i bet there's different answers for no yeah. matter who you are or, or like if they have like a week in between races like we've seen some drivers take little side trips like when there's you know i, I think i saw it last year maybe where hamilton went I don't know, somewhere in, out west after the Grand Prix in Austin. He was around in the States for a few days, and then he went down to Mexico. But Amazing. It, it's it's cool to see what these drivers do, and it would be really interesting to see what some of the other team members do. And, yeah, like you said, like what what's your favorite place to go and why? Amazing. It would be great. So I think with that, I want to thank Sandra for emailing in thank to you. us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And anyone It means else? a lot. It does mean a lot, you know. We're just a fledgling little little podcast here, so to get what, a little what are, feedback. What are our numbers now? Do you know numbers I don't off the top of your head? Have it. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's growing. We That's see good. you out there listening every week, and uh, to be honest, That's what we want. I've been a little busy. I haven't checked recently. I should know it, but um, that's okay. It, you've been you've been you've been very busy lately. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, and that's one more American F1 fan that we created out here uh, for those <laughs> Europeans to get mad about in about 12 years or so. <laughs> so uh, but no, I, and we appreciate any feedback and any interaction and uh, always a great time talking F1. And one thing I'd like to mention before we go is over the off season, we're planning on doing some more episodes looking at historic uh, times in Formula One history or teams or just things that are not as focused on the weekly races because there won't be any weekly races but just just look look for those like we did our episode on the 2005 u.s grand prix and we've done expect more like that yeah exactly so if you have topics for us that you think would be fun to research if you have things uh particular memories for formula one that you'd like to hear us talk about send us an email at f1 funcast at gmail.com and you can find connor at connor gagnon c-o-n-n-o-r-g-a-g-n-o-n that's where you get the good information or you can follow me at f1 funcast for the memes and nonsense so uh (laughs) i think with that is that the checkered flag chief are we i think i hear it waving you hear it waving (laughs) i can hear it waving from here baby (laughs) it's been a good one thanks for listening guys we'll talk to you soon see you guys